Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Scholarly Communication, the podcast about how knowledge gets known. I'm Daniel Shea, your host for episode 126 of the podcast, which today is another installment in the focus, Researchers Talk. The Focus Researchers Talk is a bank of talk by those researchers who have enjoyed particular success in publishing their work. My guests on Researchers Talk tell us how they turn the data and how they turn the ideas into the many papers of impact which they have published. Today I'll be talking with Peng Liu, professor at the College of Information Science and Technology at Pennsylvania State University and director of the Cybersecurity Lab. Peng's research interests include AI for cybersecurity and security issues with Internet of Things, smartphones, and system securities. So let's begin today's episode. Peng Liu on Researchers Talk. Hi, Peng. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Hi, Daniel. Nice talking to you. So uh, this is an interview, Peng, that's not really so much about what you research, because it's actually much more about how you do the researching. And there I kind of divide things into a three-way split between how you write, how you read, and also how you network which is kind of where I typically like to kick off the conversations with my guests um, with. So maybe just a word or two briefly as as to what I mean when I say scientific network. Um, Basically, my definition goes along the lines of it's the social side of science, the people that you work with, collaborate with, correspond with, meet with, solve problems with, everything really from teaching all the way up through administration and, of course, all the co-authoring that someone might do. So if I just give that basic idea of a scientific network to you, what, what is it that jumps out at you as being particularly relevant to your uh, publishing of research? Right. Uh, regarding uh, my research network, um, um, it's a dynamic. So uh, uh, when I have a new collaborator, uh, my research network grows and uh, when I was a, a junior faculty, um, I realized that oh, it is a good idea to have uh, collaborators to do uh, collaborative research. So, uh, and then I, I, I found that uh, proposing uh, a research collaboration uh, to another researcher, which you think uh, could be interested in a particular uh, topic, a particular project, 
that you are working on or you plan to work on uh, is an effective way. So through the years, I uh, proposed uh, quite a few uh, such collaboration uh, uh, to uh, quite a few uh, researchers, uh, not only not only uh, at my university, but also uh, in some other universities, even in some uh, other countries. This is interesting. Does that mean that you would then also propose to people whose work you knew, but maybe hadn't ever personally known before, or perhaps never even met at a conference? Were these like more like cold proposals, as we might call them? Yeah, very good question. Sometimes, uh, and uh, about uh, uh, thirty to forty percent uh, of my. Uh, uh, proposed uh, collaboration uh, is in this category. So I encourage uh, junior researchers uh, uh, to be you know, more willing or to be less concerned with, oh, uh, I'm proposing something uh, to a person who does not know me. But I, in my observation, um, uh, this uh, in many cases was not an issue. Because uh, when I proposed uh, something, uh, it is a uh, a specific uh, research topic is a specific uh, project description, and I will also introduce myself uh, in the email, for example. So uh, the person who I proposed to actually will, in my observation, they will first do an assessment regarding that uh, they want to get back to me or they think it's, uh, it's a good idea, at least uh, to have a uh, a first meeting to know each other better. So uh, uh, this is my own experience. Uh, it seems in many cases, if you know the person's work and uh, you think he could be interest, he or she could be interested, uh, then uh, it, it could be a good idea just to uh, propose a collaboration. <laughs> That's really great that you also speak out there to junior researchers because they are a particular audience of mine. It's one of my major motivations for having this uh, podcast and speaking to successful researchers like yourself so that people get a sense of what's going on out there. So your advice really of, you know, as I was saying, sort of a cold proposal to somebody whose work shares a lot with yours um, clearly can be a very successful way forward. I can imagine early career researchers being concerned perhaps for two reasons. One, the person they approach is obviously a stranger and perhaps also maybe even senior in some way, uh, more advanced in their career. And two, that people might be concerned about sharing some of their ideas, perhaps uh, preliminary results to be convincing of what it is that you know, the other person could do with them what might be achievable. Uh, what would you perhaps answer to either of these concerns, the person being more senior or a stranger or, or the suspicion that might be there? Uh, yeah, basically, uh, for a person who is a uh, more senior, and then typically, uh, in my own experience, is uh, usually the junior researchers is, uh, uh, is uh, more uh, at the driver's seat, so the uh, first uh, uh, is uh, assumed that the junior researcher is willing to share some of his or her insights, some, uh, some of his or her ideas about uh, the project uh, 
uh, that is uh, uh, being considered for collaboration. So uh, you're right. Uh, the information sharing is usually not that symmetric, but I somehow think uh, uh, when the proposer is more willing, uh, is more open about his thoughts, his ideas, or his vision about a particular research area, particular research topic, uh, then usually uh, it can, you know, it can can gain, can let the uh, the senior, uh, the collaborator to gain confidence uh, and then uh, through the process usually is through the first conversation or discussion uh, uh, as the trust level is increased usually the collaborator is more willing to share more about his or her thoughts and ideas and what we're describing here is really, let's say, if you see a collaboration or the network generally as sort of a two-phase process, you've got the meet process where you just get to know people, and then the continuing process, the maintaining process where the connection is is, is kept up in a way. So to move over into that, you, you've you've mentioned that you have very often collaborated and, 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 and benefited quite a lot uh, from, from that work together. I, I wonder what are some of the techniques that you could pass on to people on how it is that you really keep, let's say, a connection warm or hot if it's been quite fruitful for your own research? Yeah, uh, in my point of view, is a, a good mutual understanding uh, and then uh, continues uh, this uh, trust relationship uh, building. So basically, uh, when you s- uh, start to work with a collaborator for the first project, uh, you and the collaborator uh, will learn each other's, uh, for example, uh, work ethic, uh, time uh, arrangement, project management uh, gradually. So uh, this uh, a mutual understanding uh, will uh, will make uh, your, for example, uh, research activity or how you spend time, and how soon you get uh, you re- reply or email or uh, how well you manage time and catch a deadline. So those uh, uh, things could be better observed by your collaborator, and then this will make you as a more predictable uh, collaborator from a research point of view. So I think this is a, 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 a probably most important. Then when you have a very predictable way of conducting collaborative research, uh, your collaborator could feel more comfortable, uh, more uh, motivated to collaborate with you. That's very good advice. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned also earlier uh, that you've collaborated, of course, at your university, beyond your university and other institutes and even internationally. And all of these uh, don't surprise me because uh, statistically it shows that higher impact papers are done by larger teams or more diverse teams. Is there something that you might be able to say from your own experience, maybe even citing one or two projects that went particularly well, where it was cross-institute or even cross-border and what was it about that constellation that made it such a successful project? Yeah, so I can mention uh, one uh, paper uh, uh, we published on, on UCINIX 2015 on discovering uh, the task hijacking vulnerability uh, in Android system, for example, uh, Android smartphone. 
And uh, this paper has quite a few co-authors from at least three institutes. And then this research network is formed not suddenly, uh, but uh, uh, through a few steps. So first, the lead author, who was a young researcher, he proposed collaboration with me, uh, I think through email. Uh, and then uh, I, uh, he, 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 he shared his background and recommended himself to me. And then after I read his paper, I realized we have some common interests. And then we had the first uh, discussion, which is uh, actually face-to-face. Uh, and then uh, we, uh, we become uh, more you know, uh, comfortable in working together. And then I think a few months later, uh, there uh, a position, a postdoc uh, position uh, uh, opening uh, in my lab. So uh, and I quickly think, oh, this person uh, could be a good candidate. So I invited him uh, to consider this postdoc position. And then uh, he, uh, after the uh, interview, uh, he got hired. Then he moved from... Uh, one from his uh, home country to United States to join my lab. And then uh, we started to uh, work together on some projects. And then lay, later on, he proposed himself to another professor, which is uh, at another university in the United States. And then this person visited, uh, this junior researcher visited uh, that institute and uh, started a collaboration with, you can see, a third person in this uh, uh, joint project. And then through this uh, lead author and through this uh, um, self-proposed collaboration, uh, uh, the team was formed. And then uh, we started to collaboratively uh, uh, working on, 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 on this particular interesting uh, problem. And, and then uh, uh, later on, uh, 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 the, the work um, was uh, gradually developed, and then the paper was submitted, and uh, it uh, was well received. Yes, definitely, it's 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 top there on the citing list. Uh, so I mean, you you're really just illustrating here beautifully what you do also from your own end of cold uh, proposing other people. Somebody did that with you, and and look what happened with their career. Yeah. And and I think that's really one of those things to get out to uh, early career researchers, this idea of, because I, my listeners will know I, I help scientists write, and I'm actually in a computer science uh, department at the moment doing so. And I, I see also early career researchers who are excellent at the methods and who are producing wonderful results. And sometimes I get the sense they've got their head down trying to engineer a perfect attack or defense and not perhaps appreciating just these social elements that you've illustrated for us, that they change your career. They can produce a wonderful paper. Uh, right. Um, basically, some researchers, uh, they are uh, less willing or less motivated uh, to collaborate uh, with uh, other researchers, uh, sometimes collaborated with uh, experts. And then, although uh, they could do very interesting work, but uh, from the point of view of scholarship development, in my observation, uh, that this uh, uh, research networking could still help a lot. Because uh, 
uh, after you, for example, uh, you solve some problem, uh, uh, develop some device, uh, defenses, uh, there's a need uh, to uh, get to the next level. Uh, next level doesn't mean I, I, I will do more uh, work, I will publish more paper. In scholarship development, it means uh, you can gain a much better understanding of the field, uh, of a broader field. Uh, so how to uh, gain uh, a, a much, for example, deeper or broader understanding, of, for example, of the broader research field? I, I somehow think the research networking and these uh, collaborators could help a lot. For example, uh, when you uh, had a, a weekly uh, discussion or even uh, some occasional research uh, discussion with an uh, expert, a uh, world leader in a particular research area, uh, you could uh, at least observe right uh, all the the broad view, uh, the vision, uh, the forward-looking thoughts of another person, which is an expert. And then the junior researcher could leverage, leverage this in his or her self-reflection regarding all, uh, how to gain deeper and a broader uh, understanding of the field, how to become more aware uh, for example, of the trend and how to uh, have a more visionary viewpoint. I, I somehow think the uh, collaborators and the research net networks could help a lot. That's wonderful. And um, that actually for, uh, gives us a, a wonderful segue over into what I call scientific reading. Um, that's basically trying to recognize the fact that there's plenty of stuff out there on scientific writing, but on scientific reading, not quite so much. And in a sense, I have the feeling what you've just said about visionary uh, collaborators, people who are experts in their field, perhaps also in a neighboring field to yours or in a neighboring research focus to give you perspective, all, the, all these things that you were just saying, that happens also, in a sense, in mini form in each paper that you read, doesn't it? Yes, yes. Basically, uh, uh, reading is another uh, very uh, uh, fundamentally effective way uh, to, be, uh, to, uh, to elevate the junior researcher's scholarship to the next level. Uh, of course, since there are so many papers to read, so uh, when I was a junior researcher, uh, I realized uh, that uh, I somehow need to be more focused uh, when I have limited time in reading papers. So uh, to uh, address this uh, limited time constraint, uh, what I did is uh, pay more attention uh, to seminal works uh, in the field, which means classical papers uh, that uh, provide a very clear understanding of the fundamental basic concepts in the field. So that is, I, 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 uh, I realize uh, that uh, kind of reading uh, is very, very helpful. And then Another form of reading is, uh, as just mentioned by you, is uh, uh, reading beyond uh, your uh, uh, own uh, area of research. Because uh, 
you you usually every researcher uh, tend to be focused in a, a particular research area during a particular period of time. So uh, and then there's a tendency uh, to read the newest paper right in the focus area. Uh, however, in my understanding, it is also very important uh, to uh, to read the papers in related area, and uh, sometimes even uh, read the papers in a different uh, discipline. So uh, this uh, uh, kind of uh, reading uh, uh, is, uh, in my own experience, it was very helpful because uh, uh, it will enable me to understand my focus area from uh, the point of view of uh, another research area or even from the entire field uh, of study or even from a different discipline. I, I somehow think that this is a, a very helpful because some of my uh, my work are actually uh, done in the intersection of uh, two disciplines. For example, uh, in our um, uh, DSM paper on security analysis uh, through uh, Bayes network, so we looked at the uh, uh, security analysis, for example, attack graph analysis, which is an established area, but from the viewpoint of a different research area, uh, which is a Bayes reasoning and uh, pro probabilistic uh, graph models. So this is a different, uh, uh, you, you can even view it as a different uh, discipline. However, uh, you could get a uh, uh, new understanding. You could uh, identify some uh, important uh, issues uh, in the area of uh, attack graph analysis. Uh, so I, I think uh, this uh, uh, broadened reading uh, is also uh, very helpful. That's that's wonderful because I mean what what you've just said there from your own experience with publishing also on the security analysis paper a successful paper from a slightly outside view all of this is backed up by uh, figures from the science of science basically uh, metrics used to understand how successful science is done I mean basically you're you're, you're saying from outside of your focus or from outside of your discipline you can learn to think better about your own or. I found this particularly interesting, this idea that go to the seminal papers, look back behind, let's say, the last two or three years, which is where everyone concentrates their attention, and get that broader view temporally. This is one of those things that's found, again, by Science of Science, that there's basically the papers that cite way back. There's the papers that really stick within that two to three year range. And it's been found that the most impactful papers are the ones that spread the range of their references temporally. And that's precisely what your reading uh, suggestion there or your reading habit really produces, isn't it? Uh, yes, uh, I agree. Yeah, in my own experience, yeah, there's uh, uh, two uh, kinds of uh, uh, reading um, behavior or uh, reading uh, habit uh, helps a lot. Uh, of course, one, uh, there are also some challenges. Uh, for example, there are so many other uh, disciplines, so many other uh, related research areas, uh, which one to choose, where to get started. So uh, to address such challenge, 
my own uh, uh, reading, uh, you can say the orientation uh, is a problem, is a problem based. Uh, typically, um, uh, from the area, from my focus area, um, I, I, I will, uh, I will ask uh, the fundamental, fundamentally basic problem, and then, um, and then I uh, read beyond the focus area. Um, after you know, I, I observe that all oh, uh, when you make this problem uh, a little bit more, sometimes uh, more fundamental or sometimes uh, more uh, general, uh, then uh, you could identify uh, some related, uh, like uh, for example, some other related uh, research area or even some other related uh, research discipline. So uh, in this way, uh, uh, at least uh, I, I, I can get motivated uh, to search for uh, some uh, some discussion of the not exactly the same problem, but uh, sometimes is a relevant problem. Sometimes is a more I would say a more basic problem because uh, nowadays many research problems are derived uh, from uh, a chain of other problems. So uh, if you also pay attention to the problems where the current problem derives from, uh, you could uh, uh, find some other, uh, actually, uh, inspiring papers to read. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash nbn50 and use code nbn50 to get 50% off. That's code nbn50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50% off. That's wonderful. Yeah. So basically going back the derivation chain all the way to where maybe problems about where they originated, let's say, so that you can you can get that, again, a broad overview, but in this sense, more logically, let's say, or more technically. Yeah. Um, one other thing about reading, uh, you, you've, you've mentioned and we've explored this idea, there's just so many papers and there's so little time, and you've given us a very good idea of how you manage that and how you approach the entire literature. What if we zoom in on one paper? Uh, I would say, again, this is an area where early career researchers face various challenges. I mean, one of the challenges will clearly be that they just, yes, haven't maybe amassed the knowledge to fully appreciate maybe all the formula, all of the coding, all of the methodological decisions that were made. So there's that issue for sure. But I think what also is there is they haven't yet really internalized where to look for what, how to extract information from a paper. Uh, Right. uh, Because for uh, uh, junior researchers, uh, in my own experience, 
uh, uh, I was uh, uh, focused on uh, understanding each paragraph, uh, understanding uh, each equation or each figure in the paper. And there, uh, there was a tendency uh, to follow the uh, pa uh, paper's order. For example, start with the first paragraph and uh, uh, following the uh, presentation order. Um, but uh, later on, uh, I changed a lot uh, in reading one paper. So uh, I observe that uh, it is a more time-consuming and less cost-effective uh, if you uh, use what I just mentioned from the first paragraph to the last paragraph in that order and try to understand every uh, information or every piece of content. So uh, later on, I realized uh, there is some more cost-effective way to read a paper. For example, <clears throat> now nowadays, uh, when I read a paper, uh, I will first... Uh, 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 focus on what is the problem uh, stated in the problem. And then I will focus on what is the conclusion, okay, uh, claim, the conclusion claim. For example, the problem is, uh, is solved uh, uh, in which way. And then uh, I will start uh, 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 to, before I read the paper, I will, I will, I, I will start with a first question is, uh, based on the problem that is uh, uh, stated in this work, and then the co conclusion, um, uh, how the conclusion uh, is derived okay, uh, from the problem. Basically, I, I want to um, figure out uh, the first, the logic, right? Uh, the, uh, the deep logic between the problem and the conclusion. So. Uh, instead of quickly, uh, instead of reading the paper from first paragraph and uh, read each paragraph, I will first, uh, sometimes I will first come up with some hypothesis. For example, uh, I will first guess oh, this conclusion uh, could, be, uh, uh, could be derived through this chain of uh, logic or through a second chain of lo logic. And then uh, uh, I will read the paper uh, mainly to uh, to kind of test my hypothesis. So in this way, uh, I I found that uh, you no longer need to read the paper from the first paragraph to the last paragraph. You can skip some sections. You can even skip some figures. Uh, if you only want to, if you only need to test a uh, uh, a particular uh, you know a uh, a uh, 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 reasoning process uh, uh, and your hypothesis. I mean, paradoxically, though, the, the, the process that you're describing actually leads you probably closer into the value or the significance of the findings there. I mean, I think the message that needs to come out is that, you know, reading is a very active process in science. You're not kicking back and seeing where this goes, the way you've just described it is you're in dialogue with the research content. Yes, yes, uh, uh, yes, I, I, I think so. Uh, it is uh, indeed a dialogue. And, uh, and, and basically, I somehow think what a, a researcher can, can learn from a paper uh, is to understand, is to mainly understand the, the logic 
uh, of the proposed uh, solution. And, uh, and also uh, uh, in this dialogue, another thing which is uh, very important is called the critical. Uh, critical, uh, no matter it is an inside or it is a critical observation, uh, sometimes is a surprising uh, finding. So uh, those are, uh, are usually most uh, helpful uh, when I read a paper, because uh, only, only after you, uh, you, you can clearly learn um, those critical uh, things from a work, your understanding of this uh, topic or of this research area uh, could uh, uh, actually become deeper. And then uh, in case you're also doing research, you're also doing uh, research in this area, your paper could be at least, right? Could be, you know, uh, built up on top of the shoulder, on, on the shoulder of the giants, on the shoulder of the existing work. Yeah. As a PI yourself, because the, what you've just described is something that early career researchers need to develop toward, because I, I've heard very many times um, uh, people in during their PhD or maybe in the initial stages of their postdoc say, you know, they, they read a few of the papers that their um, supervisor gave them. They went back to the meeting and were talking about them. And then the supervisor would say one thing about one of the papers such that the person, you know, the doctoral researcher or the postdoc said, as if I hadn't read the paper, you know, that critical insight, that one significance, that point that the whole paper turned on, and they, you know, say, as if they hadn't read it, they missed it. I, I wonder as a PI yourself, what, what is it that you maybe do with uh, the people in your group uh, to, to help them notice such things? Or, or how do you encourage them if they, if they come with something like that? Yes, yes. Basically, um, I observe some uh, earlier career researchers. Um, after they read a paper, uh, they can talk a lot about the paper. Uh, however, um, they could still miss the critical, uh, critical part of the understanding. So uh, it seems they remember a lot about the paper, um, but uh, actually, um, they still do not have a very clear or deep understanding about the scientific contribution of this paper. So, 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 so uh, to help the junior researcher, usually when we do research discuss, discussion or brainstorming, uh, I will raise some questions uh, to alert, kind of politely alert the junior researcher um, that uh, uh, for this paper, the new understanding is uh, probably located here, but uh, not in what you have just presented. Yeah, very good. I mean, this is one of those, this gets us back to that idea of, you know, breaking down the paper and understanding where to look for things. Um Maybe that is a worthwhile follow-up question. I mean, if you if you had to say, you know, if you were rolling dice <laughs> and you had to say, okay, well, in just about any paper, I'm probably going to find the critical insights. And where would that place be? What is it that you're looking for as you're going through the manuscript? Yeah, that's a, a, a very uh, nice uh, question. <laughs> I hope I have, a, <laughs> I have a such, uh, you know, uh, 
how can I say, uh, either strategy or a procedure or a recipe so other junior, uh, other researchers can refer to. Um, but uh, uh, after reading a good number of papers, uh, I found that uh, uh, the critical understanding um, is uh, not really located, uh, for example, in, uh, in the same place across papers. Or even in a, uh, or even following some, uh, some habit. For example, is is always a, uh, 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 always you can find the important thing in the conclusion section or in the, uh, in the evaluation section. So in my own understanding, some uh, um um synthesis uh, uh reasoning is needed, uh to uh identify. Uh, uh, the new understanding developed in the work. So that's my observation. Is uh, uh, although the uh, uh, although the authors try to communicate the new understanding, okay, in a clear uh, uh, a clear and predictable way, but uh, uh, I I found is this is uh, uh, sometimes quite challenging. Uh, to quickly lo- 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 locate. Uh, so I, uh, I observe that uh, the researcher will still need to ask uh, what is important is to ask the right questions about this work. Is, uh, uh, if the researcher uh, asks the right question about this work, then it's more likely for the researcher to find uh, this uh, critical uh, understanding you know, for example, quicker, for example, <laughs> uh, more precisely located. I think that's a fantastic answer. I really hope uh, listeners take that advice because this is this is really helpful in the sense of people look at a paper and, and as I was just portraying it, you know, there's places in it and you get things from those separate places. I mean, to a degree that's true, but not for the significant, you know, let's say research changing reasons that you're talking about here when it comes to, okay, what is the significance here? What is the critical contribution that's being made here your your answer that it's actually in the way that you read it's not the thing itself that you're reading uh, right for example yeah is is uh, <laughs> thank you for that <laughs> that's that's great um yeah i, I yeah i agree um, um yeah I, I think it's a is a is a yeah it's quite relevant to the cognition of the researcher so uh, this could uh, maybe uh, explain why some uh, senior researchers, some experts, could, uh, uh, could uh, you know, could uh, capture the significance or critical understanding more precisely. Is because uh, this is uh, anyhow fundamentally related to uh, the reader's uh, cognition. For example, if the reader uh, has a has a better understanding of this uh, uh, research field, then this cognition uh, uh, could enable this reader just to mo- to to capture the critical uh, part of the of the work, you know, more precisely or quicker. Speaking of expertise and 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 researchers' cognition and and focus and so on, that's that makes a nice segue again over into writing. It's been 
shown in many studies from the area of composition and I've experienced myself working together with researchers and writing on my own that writing is an enormously helpful tool in cognition, in clarifying thinking, in bringing yourself forward in whatever question or problem you happen to be facing. Would 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 you see that also reflected in your own practice? Oh yes, yes. So uh, I fully uh, agree on what you mentioned. Uh, I share the uh, same uh, personal experience, and uh, uh, especially uh, I realize uh, that. Uh, uh, writing process uh, in my own uh, uh, experience uh, involves at least uh, two mental models. So one is the researcher's mental model, uh, which captures uh, how the research has been done, how the experiments have been done, a system design and the evaluation results and some uh, findings. Uh, but this is, uh, uh, in many cases, not enough to write a good paper. Because uh, the second, uh, uh, you can call it a cognition model or mental model, is also uh, very important, which is the reader, uh, the reviewer's uh, mental model. Basically, uh, the reviewer tries to uh, understand your work, but the reviewer uh, uh, if the reviewer, this is related to my comments on reading. So if the re- re- reviewer read your paper uh, in, a, in a reasonable way, uh, uh, how can the reviewer, uh, whether the reviewer can clearly understand right, uh, your research contribution, uh, your critical uh, 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 understanding that is developed, the new understanding that is developed in your work, and uh, how to how can they really understand the significance of your work? So this is the re- reviewer readers uh, mental model, and uh, uh, based on my own experience, sometimes uh, these two mental models are quite different, and the difference causes uh, quite quite some trouble. Uh, for example, I experienced uh, uh, paper rejection several times, um, I would say many times, uh, and due to this uh, uh, mismatch, this uh, mental model mismatch. Uh, in my observation, uh, junior researchers, uh, their mental model tend to be, okay, I did a design, implementation, evaluation. So uh, when I write a paper, I should focus on design, uh, implementation, evaluation. Uh, that's uh, one uh, mental model that many uh, junior researchers have. A uh, reviewer's mental model, in my observation, could be very different. The reviewer's mental model could be, uh, what are your design goals? What you intended to design? And uh, uh, why uh, the first design goal is important? This is about significance of your work, right? Uh, that's why does the second uh, design goal matter? So you can see uh, in many uh, cases, uh, the reviewer kind of pay more attention to why you have this kind of design, uh, why you have this design goal, and will your design um, significantly, you know, uh, for example, uh, deviate from the literature so 
it really provides uh, some new perspective, new understanding. So you so even from the first step design, uh, the the second mental model, the reviewers could be quite different uh, from the first mental model, which is the author, the researchers. And so uh, due to the differences, uh, the reviewer could uh, be confused a lot when reading the paper. And of course, this confusion in some cases will lead to misunderstanding. And the misunderstanding in some cases will lead to paper rejection. What you've just said, again, has illustrated research from um, uh, writing studies, uh, Chicago Writing Program, for one, um, works in almost exactly the same terms that you were presenting these different models of the researcher's mental model and then the reviewer's or reader's mental mo model and, and how these come into interference with one another and the consequences that, that obviously follow on that. And, and, I, and I definitely think that that is an eye-opener for... Um, Early career researchers, uh, one that just saying it clearly isn't necessarily all enough, always enough, because it's 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 why you're saying what that is sort of overlaid across the solid science. We're not putting into question that you're putting out there results or methods that are performed to the best of your ability and the best conscience. That's not the issue. The issue is, then what do you make of that? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so this is a. Uh... Uh, I, I think it's a, a hard lesson uh, learned by me, and I hope that the junior researchers can have this kind of awareness in their early career. So after they have the awareness, uh, there are some benefits. For example, uh, when they get some uh, comments from the reviewer, uh, now they could understand the reviewer comments uh, if they have the uh, this kind of awareness of uh, uh, mismatch the mental model. Uh, then in some cases, uh, they could understand the reviewer's comments better. And then uh, they could come up with some ideas to bridge the gap between the reviewer and the uh, author, the researcher. And then maybe at some point they can hear the reviewer's voice in their head or other readers, perhaps also not just so that we're talking here about acceptance and rejection, but citation or not citation. So hear the comments of other readers about what it is that they're putting on the line of their current manuscript. So in essence, part of what it means to grow as a writer is to be hearing more every time you put down a word. Yes, fully agree. So, for example, when, uh, when I uh, become a senior researcher, uh, when I write a paper, I run a simulator of the reviewer in my brain. So, uh, when I write a paragraph, I will first query the simulator, which is running uh, concurrently in my brain, uh, to query the simulator to ask uh, what will be the reviewer's question. Um, uh, at this place of the paper, when he when when he or she reads this part of the paper, and what will be, uh, the re especially the reviewers' uh, critical, uh, comments, uh, what will be the reviewers' concern here, or uh, whether the reviewer will, uh, how likely the reviewer will get a misunderstanding, uh, when reading this paragraph. <laughs> Very good. Um, t to close out, uh, Peng, there's one basic issue on which this entire uh, podcast is really built. And, and that is, I think I can do something here 
to help the research. That's that's one of the aims of, of what this is about. And and that's why I always try to close out with um, asking uh, my guests, especially when they're uh, researchers like yourself, if you could imagine speaking to authors out there and, and tell them something that would help them submit better or to chairs or editors and tell them something that would help them publish better papers or to reviewers to make better decisions and all the way down the line, even through education, preparing researchers, which which group might you there pick out and, and what would be the one piece of advice, even if it's a small piece of advice that you would tell out to them? Right. Basically, uh, would like uh, to uh, tell the uh, junior researchers uh, uh, to uh, obtain better awareness uh, about, uh, for example, uh, the mismatch uh, between the reviewer's mental model and the author researcher's mental model. Also, I would li- like to uh, encourage the junior researchers uh, to, uh, f- uh, on one hand, stay focused uh, in a particular specific research topic, but uh, on the other hand, uh, could uh, uh, have a, a, a bird view Right of a broader area, sometimes a bird of bird view, right of some other disciplines. For example, nowadays I study AI for cybersecurity, and uh, I, I observe it is very uh, important to understand the philosophical viewpoint of ethics. Because uh, uh, regarding AI, AI security, um, ethics are very essential but uh, it was not a traditional topic in computer science. Well, thank you very much for that, Peng. That is Peng Liu, and he is professor at the College of Information Science and Technology at Penn State. This is goodbye from me to Peng. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. And this is goodbye to all of you. Bye-bye, and until next time, here on this focus of the podcast, Researchers Talk.